0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Um, this is uh, the first Sunday of Lent, uh, Lent, of Advent, said the non-Catholic. Lent, Advent. its this. No, it's not actually the same thing. But this is uh, the, the first of four Sundays where we focus on preparing our hearts for the birth of the Christ child. And so we've got some work to do. How many are relieved that we're done with 1 Corinthians? Whew, Paul is a, man, Paul's not easy. Paul's a tough guy to figure out problem is he wrote most of the New Testament, so you've got to square up to Paul, but it's great to be back in the, uh, the gospel narrative for a bit. So welcome to this great season. It's four weeks, um, and we're moving somewhere pretty intentionally. For some of us, this is new, but here's the, here's the thing about Advent. It's actually the beginning of the church calendar. So if you go online and search out uh, readings for Advent 2016, what do you think it pops up on your screen? Readings from last year, because this is actually Advent 2017. I know that's hard to get our head around. I don't want to mess with... If you want to confuse people, talk about time change, right? Fall, forward, spring, back, or however that goes. Truly confound people. Tell them that it's not actually 8 o'clock when their watch says it's 8. War breaks out at my house. So I don't want to tinker with how you look... It is actually still 2016, but this is the beginning of the church year. So, So the church year really is just a structured invitation to find our way back into the truths of the gospel through some kind of an intentional approach, okay? So we're actually um, at the beginning of, for us, and that's gonna matter in a, in, as, as we wrap our thoughts today. This posture, the posture of Advent is where it all starts, and that's what I wanna suggest. It's the beginning of time for us, and it's foundational in some of the work that we need to do. Now is when we begin to prepare our hearts, our lives, our families, our homes for the birth of the meaning maker, the Christ child, God made flesh, okay? Language is limited because it does as much to help as it leaves out. And what I mean by that is it's difficult to come up with the language formulation that fully explains what it is we're celebrating when we celebrate Advent. It's always been this way. Poets, philosophers, prophets, and common folk have all tried all sorts of language constructs to describe what the birth of Christ means, how we could possibly make sense of this gift, God made flesh, And to some degree, they all help and they all fall short. John the Apostle will call Jesus the Word, capital W, literally the Word, literally the speech of God the Father, the divine declaration regarding the darkness we find ourselves in. That's one word formulation, the Word, Christ the Word. Jesus is the Word, the spoken Word that comes from a loving Father to the human family. In another place, the word love would be deployed to describe what God is and what God's son was sent to bring us. Love is dynamic. That's an improvement in some ways, right? Love is active. And the word almost is able to fully encapsulate the reality of God who moves towards us. Almost, but not entirely. Well, during this season of Advent of 2017, the beginning of 2017, we will use the concept of light, right? Christ the coming light to help us get back inside the reality of his earth-altering arrival. It's actually not that common to end Advent with the words of John the Apostle. Where do we usually end up with after four weeks of Advent? The words of Luke, the words of Matthew, right? The, the, the birth narratives. Well, this year, the church in her wisdom has said the words of John, John the Apostle in, in, in chapter one is actually where we're gonna end. And so I wanna pick that up and let's read that and then we will pray. On the screen, John 1, 1 through 5. I'm just going to read this from the message because something about the way it's written in the NIV is so standard and common that we don't think it through. It just kind of happens, and we don't actually attach meaning. So let's read this from the message this morning. John writes, The Word was first. The Word present to God. God present to the Word. Capital W. This is Jesus, of course. The Word was God. In readiness for God from day one, everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. Let's press on and read another one. Later, John would write about the woman caught in adultery. And if you know me, you know this is probably my favorite story about Jesus. Probably my all-time favorite posture of Jesus. But it's followed by an interesting self-declaration that Jesus makes. He doesn't make many, but he makes this one. Let's read in John 8 from the NIV, verse 10. John straightened up, Jesus straightened up and asked her, this is after she's been caught, thrown in the crowd and humiliated, and no one chooses to judge or stone based on the words of Jesus. Jesus straightens up and asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And watch this in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I am the light of of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to quicken our minds, to reflect us back to us through your word. Speak to us today. Help us prepare. Help us be ready for the birth of the Christ child. In your name we pray. Amen. So the message of Advent this year is that there is a coming light, a long awaited arrival foretold in the heavens, the arrival of one so meaningful, so life altering that all of human history would forever spin on the axis of the year of his birth. He gets the last laugh. All of human history bends to the plane of the birth, birth of this child. Christ is a light so desperately needed, so intensely sought after that fortunes would be spent in attempts to gain access to front row seats of the arrival of this child. Surely such an arrival, right? Surely such a noble birth of cosmic import would happen in the jewel-studded halls of power and influence. Surely it wouldn't be hard to know when and where such a king would be born. After all, even the stars prophesied his coming. But the overwhelming majority of humanity missed it completely. And we continue to miss it today. There are so many reasons why we fail to see Jesus. For one, light was made for darkness, and nobody was looking there. Christ, the coming light. Nobody was looking on the margin, on the fringe, in the shanty towns, in the squatter's village, several blocks off the beaten path where only the poor and the voiceless ones labor to eke out an existence. No one was looking there. Surely that's not where it would happen. We should have known better, but we didn't. So, my first thought for us today is number one, we fail to see the light of Christ when we look in the wrong place. You can look for the right thing in the wrong place and never find it. How could the one who all of history longs to see arrive at the wrong terminal, pull up to the wrong gate at the wrong time, right? How could he come to us when the religious ground crew with their nifty little flashlights couldn't even assist his positioning? No one knew. Wrong terminal under the radar. See, the thing about light is that it's in charge. It changes the state of affairs wherever it goes. It won't be snuffed out by darkness, no matter how much darkness conspires against it. Light, whether particles or waves, and I did a little, I don't know why I did, but I did a little reading about the theory of light. It was all over my head. Quickly, quickly got back to finishing the crown and listening to what wafted through the house of the gilmore girls right trying not to pay attention trying to figure out what happened to her dad and all this stuff is that botox we're looking at in 10 years you know the deal but quickly i got bored with the theories of light but do you are you aware that we still don't quite know how it functions but we know a few things about it where whether it's particles or waves everything in the path of light restructures around its arrival That's what's important to know. If you were to follow the language preferred by the the prophet Isaiah, uh, the arrival of this light makes things act funny. That's pretty common. That's pretty easy to understand. It repurposes things, according to Isaiah, that were made for other outcomes. It consumes. This light redirects. It brings change. Early in his recorded prophecies, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 9, single verse here. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned and everything changes when this light finally arrives you notice things change read along with me in isaiah 2 the mountain of the lord is this little subject this little passage here this is what isaiah son of amos said uh, saw concerning judah and jerusalem verse 2 in the last days the mountain of the lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hang with me. Verse 4, he will judge between the nations and will settle the disputes of many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, if you've been around the body of Christ for a while, you've probably heard that plowshares and pruning hooks conversation, those words, those are odd words. What does it mean? What does it mean to beat plowshares, beat, uh, I'm sorry, to beat plowshares, uh, swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks? Somebody help me with that. We talk to each other here, so don't panic if you're new. <laughs> talk to me. What do we mean? Weapons of war turned into productive instruments. Weapons of war turned into productive instruments. That's... Can anybody improve on that? <laughs> objects of death to objects of life. Very good. Anyone else? It's getting better, getting better. Would you like to amend your contribution, Jana? <laughs> i <I'm> just check. <laughs> Would you like to up the game? No, I'm sure. <laughs> All ploughshares and pruning hooks are really our shovels and hose, right? Objects that cultivate life. So, what's interesting is that if it, to walk in the light of Christ re- literally will require us to reconfigure our earthly allegiances. This is the bottom line. Those things that were so important before when the light of Christ breaks into our life no longer matter. And so swords are no longer productive and so we'll turn them into something that can produce life. The nation's response to the reign of Christ will literally be a restructure of priorities. Weapons of war will be repurposed into farming implements. Did you know, interesting question, that that Christians have been looked at historically with suspicion because our allegiance goes beyond our nation of birth. Did you know that early in the American colonies, there were particular groups that came from the old world that were looked at sideways with folded arms because it wasn't obvious based on their theology whether they would ever pledge allegiance to a nation or to a particular country. It wasn't actually until the 20th century that we became so cozy with the weapons of war that it seems that to be a believer is to have a particular view Of America's role in the war. I'm not going to suggest that was much of an improvement to theology. You can make your own decision. You see, we're not the people of Caesar. We are not the tribe of Trump. We are not Obama's posse, okay? We ought not march lockstep in the battle cry of any political movement or party. Christians should not be nationalists. They should not be just nationalists. We have never been party loyalists. Our allegiance should never be predictable. It should never be drop a quarter, get a vote. It's not how it should work. The light of Christ can never be contained by such weak and fickle human institutions such as nations, military objectives, and political agendas, because our allegiance is to something higher than all of that We don't control the light we have within. We don't steer it. We don't tell it who to shine on and who to leave out. The light that literally has brought us to life governs our life. It makes its own moves. And the invitation for us is to join it in spreading itself around the world. We don't control it. We don't bottle it. We follow the light of Christ within. It's not perfect language, but the light breaking into darkness is a profound and helpful way to describe how the reality of Jesus actually invades the world. As powerful and as convincing and as permeating as darkness may be, whatever that darkness is for you, you attach the meaning. It could be shame or guilt or loss or disease, whatever that is. Once the particles of light or the waves of light of Christ are unleashed, darkness literally moves out of its way. And while we can't stop this process, it happens, and we can all attest to this. Darkness has no answer for light. It has no rebuttal, no response other than to bow, to shrink away, and to hide. Now, I'm describing what you know to be true. But as you and I both know, the world sure doesn't seem like it's flooded with the light of Christ. Unless, of course, Christmas music is the light of Christ. In which case, the world is hopelessly flooded with it. It started back in May. You guys do realize we only have about another 10 days left of, Good Fr- of Black Friday, right? <laughs> Anybody else surprised to watch TV this year and realize Black Friday is now like a week? You weren't watching TV, you were hunting. Okay, we'll forgive you. But it's not that difficult to see how it is that this powerful light of Christ still has a long, long way to go. If you're like me, and you want this to to, to happen completely in your life, you want all things to be restructured, you want all things to take on the shape of the Lordship of Christ, you might be dealing with what I'm dealing with at this time of year, which is my second point, which is that the light of Christ is so disappointingly slow. It's the power that created everything that is, and yet it moves so slowly. If you're focused on quick progress, on a shock and awe reveal of God's power, right, on the immediate defeat of your enemies, you're gonna have to adjust to the speed of light, which is far slower than you might think. So much darkness remains, so much loneliness, so much brokenness, so much despair. But a day is coming. Paul wrote about it this way in our Pauline passage from the lectionary for the readings of today in Romans 13 the day is near. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer than when we first believed, says Paul, verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the needs of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do you notice those two words, those two disappointing words? Nearly and almost. Almost like shopping at Costco puts you in style. Almost. You guys know what I'm talking about? Sorry, that was a different conversation we were having before church. <laughs> almost like like nearly, like nearly a score, but oh, you fell short, two yards short. Eh, L, you're a loser, right? Do you hear that, those words? I hate those words, nearly or almost. I want it now. Anybody with me? I want it now. After all, we are the wise men in the, Christ, in the Christmas narrative, aren't we? We're the ones who are seeking. We're the ones who do the looking for, right? I mean, we can all agree that Jesus is actually closer to those who seek him, right? Careful, that the light of Christ is closer to those who really, really want it really badly, right? Caution, dot, dot, dot. Advent is all about preparing us to receive the Christ child anew. We've said this. Sounds like work to me. Sounds like religious work. Sounds like behaving. Sounds like getting it all lined up, right? Getting everything figured out. Like doing our best to be really liked by God so we get to be the wise men or we get to be the shepherds or we get to be those, primed, those, those privileged positions watching Christ be born among us. I'm afraid that sometimes we flip the gospel on its head by over-dramatizing our yearning for the advent of Christ so present is our darkness and so deeply do we wanna be set free that it's actually possible for us to focus on the flipped reality that is that we are the seekers of divine intervention. And it is my great joy to remind you today that the birth of Christ is the result of so much more than just our fervent seeking. There's a cosmos being redeemed and we're being caught up in it. So my third thought for us today is this. The gospel tells us, if we read it right, that we, of all people, are what he's looking for. Now follow me. He came seeking us. This is the message of the incarnation, that Christ came to tell us what love actually looks like, what it acts like, what love does. He's looking for us. And in a profound lyric from one of my favorite songwriters, Ryan O'Neill records under the moniker, Sleeping at Last. Any Sleeping at Last fans in the room? You should be. Somebody pull up your, go ahead, pull up your Spotify. Go ahead, save that little list. Ryan O'Neill is one of the best writers in the game today. He he beautifully encapsulates the irony of Christmas in this idea that that we think that we're the astronomers. We're the ones looking to the heavens for meaning. And what's so amazing is that we are the ones who are found. He writes, I was a billion little pieces till you pulled me into focus. Astronomy in reverse, it was me who was discovered. That comes from a song called Venus from an album called Atlas Space. Right, guys? Yeah, thank you. What a beautiful turning. It, we think that we are the ones who do the finding, and yet on the other end of that telescope, eventually the breaking in of the light of Christ will, will prove to us that we are what's being sought. The irony of the Christmas season is that we think that we increase our chances of finding meaning, of finding Jesus if we slow down and look real hard, if we could just push back on all the shopping and just do it all on Amazon, right, so you don't have to do the parking thing. If we focus on others more, if we forgive our family members more completely, more deeply, if we learn to give and not receive, if we can somehow tamp down our selfishness, we think that it increases our chance of finding what we're looking for. And the irony is that this is the season that we celebrate being sought after by God. So Advent is not about performance. Advent is about release. Advent is about accepting the reality that we are the prize that he is seeking and Jesus is the pursuer. The baby in the manger is the emissary. We are the pearl of great price. That heaven literally drains its bank account to repurpose, to buy back. That's from Matthew 13. We are the lost coin that all of life is suspended until we find that one thing. That's you, that's me, from Luke 15. We are the lost sheep. We are the prodigal. If you've never read the parables this way, read them again. You are the treasure that heaven is seeking. And here's my point. Light is seeking you. Just when you thought you had gone too far, had done too much, had wounded the ones you loved best, For the very last time, just when you thought you were at the end of your rope, this newborn baby comes from heaven seeking you. Heaven comes to earth to restore you, to shower you with love and attention, to speak kind words to your brokenness, to draw you home where you have always belonged, and that's always been the case. This is the message of Advent. The Christ child is the seeker, and we can do what we want to make it a religion. And the truth is that the gospel runs underneath all of that. And until we get this, we've not gotten it. You are what he's after. Jesus is doing the pursuing on behalf of his father and will not stop until he has it all back. And that means you. And if you can let that land today, that changes everything about Christmas and Advent. How do we prepare for such an unbelievable event? How do we ready ourselves for this? How can we ever accept the manger as an overture of love for us? How do we willingly accept being pursued by God? Well, it's not hard. It's by giving up. It's by letting go. It's by letting yourself be caught. It's by pushing back on shame and guilt, pushing back on duty and religion and all the things we think we have to do and just letting yourself be caught from behind. You see, the birth narrative of Christ is our story. This margin, this unconventionally arranged wedlock, non-wedlock yet thing between a very, very young Jewish woman and a carpenter, this is our story. This is the margin where we live. The people under oppression that Jesus came to save, that's us. That's our story. Every little detail, every little seemingly contradictory detail of this cosmic romance is about us. It's ultimately about you. And someone wrote this this week on the interwebs, and I don't remember who, but it was profound. It said simply this, make no mistake, your life has always been a love story. We are not ready for Advent until we fully see ourselves as the treasure that God came to redeem and have back. We get four weeks to prepare ourselves for that. Why do we get four weeks? It takes every bit of four weeks to walk back from the edge of duty and snobbery and we do it right and we're the right ones and we believe correctly. It takes all of these four weeks to walk back and say, wait, the target's on my head and heaven is coming for me. In the beginning, This morning I mentioned that this is the beginning of the church calendar. I think that what that means is that if we cannot decode this posture, if we can't figure this out, a way to get back into the spirit of Advent in a resolute willingness to allow ourselves to be pursued by God, then nothing else matters. You can add Easter, you can add resurrection, you can add all of that. You can add the development of of doctrine and and the perfection of Christian ethics. You can add all of the things that we make it all about, but if you cannot accept this one thing that heaven will not stop till it has you back, the rest of it is immaterial because the only thing that it will be will be the tilting, leaning towers of Christian empire. Belief will never have your heart like the love of Christ will. Before there's a risen Lord on Easter morning, before there's the resurrection from the grave, before death is conquered, before there's a church in the church age, before the elaborate Christian doctrines that need defending, long before the complex biblical ethic of sexuality, of missions, of ecclesiology, of a world to save, there is just us being pursued by a God who cannot help himself but move towards us in our darkest night. It's just who he is. He is by nature the pursuer of the lost the finder of the wayward, the meaning maker, the child God, the peasant king, the time divider, the seeker. That's our God. Let that land in your heart this morning and pray with me. Jump to your feet.